0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Simon Broadbeck, who is a reader uh, at Cardiff University. Uh, we'll be speaking about a fascinating new book on the Mahabharata called uh, Divine Descent, and the four world ages in the mahabharata and uh, bonus uh, it's available open access uh, courtesy of uh, cardiff uh, the link uh, to the publication is in the podcast notes simon welcome back to the podcast thanks very much raj it's good to be back I'm not mistaken I we spoke at the end of 2019 but your last fascinating publication and here you are shooting at another one you've been a busy boy
2: yeah well in between times we got locked up didn't we um so (laughs) there were many months in which it wasn't possible to do much and and as I'm I'm not encumbered by any family responsibilities at the moment and so I found it very a good opportunity to get my head down and, and, and to, 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 to write what I thought was going to be a short article.
1: Right. Right. I've, I've been on both sides of that, writing an article that probably should be a book and, you know, no. anyhow um, it just so happens that I, I, I had a podcast interview it just happened to be just before our call on um uh, an individual who was writing on um uh ai and uh and and the ways in which uh um, um, um uh, it's theologized as kalki at the end of the age in india and he uh, I happened to mention that i'd be speaking to you shortly and he said wow i wish that book was out a few years ago so you know what apparently there is a need and want for this sort of book what's your book about
2: um well it's uh, it's about the apparent conflict between uh the yuga system as presented in the Mahabharata and the Avatara idea. Um the Avatara idea is most famously known according to what Krishna says to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, which is that he um takes form uh occasionally in order to um when Dharma is at a low point in order to rescue the good and punish the wicked. And you would think, according to that statement, that after Krishna has come, that the world would be more Dharmic than it was before. But um, the the text is quite clear that the, the Kurukshetra war is located at the junction between the Dvapara yuga the third of the four yugas and the kali yuga the last and worst of them and so in fact uh in the period after krishna's visit things are considerably worse than they were before he came and that is a a bit of a well an apparent contradiction between uh these two ideas the idea of the yugas and the idea of the the avatar or incarnation um so so the purpose of the book is really to 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 state that problem um as clearly as possible and to uh to see
1: if what we can make of it
2: to see how 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 this situation is to be resolved
1: well well to your point in in the famous uh, verses of the bhagavad-gita um uh, Not he said not only does he comes to punish the wicked and protect the righteous, but literally he says he comes to reestablish dharma. So so he he declares, um, you know, outright that this is what is to be done. And yet, clearly, um, there are muddy waters ahead and atrocities ahead. And uh, tradition would would have us believe it's been all downhill since, and we've got a long way to go yet. (laughs) Downhill. And so um, before we dive into some of your discussion maybe contextualize for us is this quandary something that vexes tradition is this a theological problem that we see Uh, or is it something that that has has dawned on you through your careful reading of the Mahabharata
2: well, neither really I mean it has dawned on me but i'm I'm not the first person to whom it's dawned um as far as I know, we don't have uh, a long tradition of pundits scratching their head about this apparent contradiction and and uh coming up with with ideas to to try and get around it so it's not uh one of the traditional topics of discussion but it's certainly been a topic of discussion in uh the scholarly community in recent decades uh and i'm not surprised because it i mean it's it's been at the back of my head for 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 some time and i've heard other other people alluding to it as well and in fact i found quite a few quotations that i've i've put in the book where where previous scholars have have expressed this uh this apparent dissonance in various ways. So it's, I mean, it, it it's commonly been remarked upon in recent times.
1: Mm. Yeah. And so, in terms of your book uh, in particular, what um, what do you do with this? How do you make sense of this this um, incongruence? Well, uh, that's the million dollar
2: question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, I start off by stating it by by introducing the 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 yuga cycle and the avatara idea and just setting the scene to be able to state the problem as clearly as possible and then I uh, I mention a few uh, a few ideas that have been proposed to try and get around it and the, the principal one of those is is from Madeleine Biardot who who her approach is to say that although the Kurukshetra war does take place at the junction between the Dvapara and the Kali-yugas, nonetheless, that junction is presented in the text as if it is the junction between the Kali-yuga and the next Krita-yuga, so, so that when the war is over and the righteous king Yudhishthira reigns, that is effectively a new uh, Krita-yuga and a new a new cycle so so i mean and i think that the, the the text does uh does play that game it it does present things in those terms to some degree but it's it, to my mind that's not really a proper solution because it doesn't take away the problem i mean it, if you like you could say that uh this solution is an acknowledgement that there is a problem but it's it's a it's it, it's a kind of symbolic solution uh, rather than a real solution so 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 I wouldn't say that I've necessarily been able to come up with a proper solution but what I've tried to do is to to put down my thinking on this topic um which I think gives us two clear directions in which we can try and go in order to get a better solution than uh, Madeleine B.R. Uh, so there's, um, there's two main chapters in the book um, which articulate two different kinds of solution. And the first one of those is to say that um, the avatara somehow represents, what is happening across the whole maha across the whole cycle and that means that one of the things that's happening across the whole cycle is that dharma drops three times at the ends of the first three yugas and the other thing that happens is at the end of the last yuga it goes back up by uh to where it started so there's as it were two directions of movement and My representative solution is to say that the avatara represents both of those movements, even though they act in opposite directions. So that when you have the story of Krishna at this place in time, it's not just telling you what God is doing at that particular spot. It's telling you more generally what God is doing uh, across the cycle as a whole. Uh, And that means that the description is self-contradictory because if you tease out the two aspects of it, in fact, they, they, they are actualized at different moments. Um, So that's my uh, broadly speaking, my first uh, solution, which is, which is to, to think of the avatara not as a, a causal actor, not as not as actually making uh, an objective change in the world, but somehow as as representing God's role with respect to time uh, as a whole. Um, so that was that's the longest uh, of my two answers. Uh, the, the the other answer that I came across is to to think of it more literally. Uh, and more causally and to think okay well if krishna who comes at the beginning of the kali yuga is uh establishing dharma then he must somehow uh plant a seed that takes 1200 years to bear fruit so uh, this idea is that by coming and doing what he does uh at the beginning of the Kali Yuga, somehow Krishna makes the next Krita Yuga happen 12,000 years later. And in order for that to work, I think we have uh, an emergent, exciting view of the nature of the text, because the way this would work is by the story of what Krishna did. And in particular, the story of what Krishna said to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita uh, being presented in a Sanskrit text that is accessible to all genders and to all social classes uh, means that once the Mahabharata is as it were published and released, people can take advantage of Krishna's message. And even if it takes 1200 years, uh, the 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 existence of the Mahabharata can eventually lead to a situation where everybody becomes proper bhaktas of Krishna, and um, and brings about the new Krita Yuga. So that, broadly speaking, is 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 the second of my ideas um, that uh, that has a. A, a very important uh, role for 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 the Mahabharata itself, and so so with this with this uh, textual causation theory, um, we can we can we can really make a uh, do good justice to to the the Bhagavad Gita message at the heart of the Mahabharata, and and to the the, the Mahabharata's apparently very high opinion of itself as a as a, a kind of instrument of salvation.
1: Hmm. Uh, Say a word, Simon, uh, about, um, uh, what to say, without getting uh, too specialists, um, uh, how how do you use the text? What are some of the different ways in which folks view the Mahabharata and what is your stance in terms of uh, the method uh, in which you engage the text?
2: Yes, thank you, Raj. That's a, a very important question um, because it's really, I think, only because I approach the text in the way I do that I have been able to take this question seriously enough um, and and come up with these two. I mean, they're not watertight answers at all, but they're they're kind of possible ways of of, of moving towards an answer. Um, yes, yeah, so so. Well, the Mahabharata is viewed in many ways. Um, I am not a, a member of the faithful community, so I don't um, I don't revere any of the Mahabharata's characters as as gods. Um, I have a, a scholarly view, a scholarly approach to the text, but it, it, it's not um, it's not aligned with the main scholarly view that we've seen in 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 the past few hundred years uh which has been a tendency for european and uh american scholars to 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 view the text as a text that was built up gradually over several well many hundreds of years expanding uh with successive uh editors and and really changing character quite uh, quite significantly from one century to another um and according to that view, in fact, uh, which goes in English language scholarship, goes back to uh, Edward Washburn Hopkins, uh, who was writing at the end of the 19th century and at the very beginning of the 20th. Um, according to that view, the, 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 the principle of Avatara, the idea of Avatara, and also the, the idea of the Yuga cycle, are both usually thought to be as it were late entries into the mahabharata so so if it's difficult to to make sense of them with respect to the text as a whole the tendency of scholars has to be has been to say well they they were introduced only latterly and and not very convincingly and not very systematically so um so traditionally or tra- traditionally within the academic community uh there hasn't really been much attempt to to resolve this contradiction it's been placed alongside other apparent contradictions as a, as it were as a byproduct of the text's gradual expansion um so in order to take this question seriously i've 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 developed a a way of viewing the text as as simply as one text. So I I don't think of it as the eventual result of a series of uh, redactions, or I don't think of it as something that's changed character. I just look at the text that we have, which is the the critically reconstituted Puna text and and just try and take, well, I think of it as taking it on its own terms and just uh, I'm just not imagining that it was ever anything different from what it presents as. Um, And in fact, that's, for me, at least, that that approach to the text means including the Harivamsha as part of it. Um, So the last time we spoke uh, in in these circumstances, was about the the translation of the Haribomsha that I've published. In fact, that uh, that translation project was a means to an end for me. It was it was in order to enable me to 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 have before me uh, in English the whole the whole of what I think of as the Mahabharata, and and for this project that was particularly important because quite a lot of the discussion. Of yugas and of avatars in the Mahabharata is in fact found within the Harivamsha. So, if you tried to 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 answer my title question, um, and you thought that the Mahabharata ended at book eighteen, then you you wouldn't have the tools at your disposal to to to, to propose the answers that I'm proposing. So so in fact that that method has been has been vital i think to the to the to b- being able to to have a a new stab at what is a reasonably ve- venerable scholarly question at the very least
1: yeah one of one of the elements of your work that really resonates and of course uh, we have uh, uh, I've, uh, we've done hundreds of podcasts on a variety of S- sorts of projects and methods and etc cetera, etc cetera. this happens to be one on Sanskrit narrative it happens to be one on Mahabharata in particular and and, and so it's a text that I've looked at I've published a few articles on and hopefully monograph three will be on the Mahabharata but one of the things that, that that really and truly resonates with with me about your approach is taking the text at face value and um, uh, You're you, honoring it as a synchronic whole. Now I imagine and correct me if I'm wrong that you don't have a quibble with the notion that it was diachronically produced or that it was produced over a period of time. Is that something that you, you, you just don't engage or is that something where that may well be but at some point we have a completed text or at least now in modern times we have a critical edition. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's a good question Raj because I, I... I think the standard
2: way of, of, of coming to terms with this, uh, these two different methods is, is to associate them with different historical theories about how the text was composed. So the diachronic approach says that the text was built up in stages over a long period, and the so-called synchronic approach tends to say that, no, the text was... Uh, Composed in a relatively short period, and of course, that's what Alf Hilterbeetel um, proposed in his rethinking the Mahabharata book, where, as it were, he 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 justified the synchronic method on the basis of a historical uh, a historical proposition that the the text was was produced relatively quickly. Now. What I've tried to do is to decouple the question of approach to the text from the question of the historical question of of how it came to be. So I'm actually agnostic about uh, the textual history. I don't think that the the Hopkins School uh, have proved their point. And I don't think that the Hilterbeetle Beetle School have proved their point either. And I don't see how either of those two camps will ever be able to Prove their point, so, so which
1: you which you mentioned explicitly, I believe, in your introductory chapter. Yes, uh, yes. So and and it, it it's for me, uh, it's, so it, the, the I have a particular approach to such texts, whether it's or the Devi Mahatmya, the Markandeya Purana, or the Mahabharata, and I tend to believe that they were produced over. A fair amount of time but at the same time i i don't couple that with a particular methodology and insofar as it's clear to me that if that is the case that produced over centuries uh, either way it's abundantly clear that by the final redactions there's extraordinary unity yeah extraordinary care to what's framed where and narrative design i mean it's it's extraordinary whether that's because of a short composition or whether that's because of uh, brilliant redactors and 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 literary folks who you know whether it's uh, the power of tradition who knows but it's 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 clear to me that even if it's diachronically produced which i which I actually happen to believe it nevertheless is it's very fruitfully synchronically engaged these yeah. texts are yeah. And so, so that's part of what resonates with what you're doing.
2: Yeah. I mean, what what I've tried to do is to bracket out any anything that requires beliefs. So if, if a if a question can't <laughs> be properly resolved on the basis of the evidence, then I just kind of think, well, we can't that can't matter then. We have to do something
1: that, that doesn't interfere with. Um, now, what would you say if um, for folks who might say, look, um, they may have critiques of the enterprise of creating critical editions or or the particular manner in which the Mahabharata critical edition were created? Or, you know, would it be the case that you might ever look to um, 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 uh, the apparatus or different recensions or different versions? Or, you know, what's, what's sort of your position on, on some of the qualms with the critical edition for some scholars?
2: Well, um, I think that the critical edition is... Uh a real a real problem for the diachronic approach um because in fact when the when the critical edition project was first mooted it was it was imagined by all and sundry that it would have the effect of of uh, of proving philologically that the parts of the Mahabharata that were widely thought to be later editions were in fact later editions and that it would allow uh the editors to move back to the real epic uh, but it didn't have that effect at all and so i think that it i think that from the uh, diachronic school there's been a tendency to to pick holes in the or to, to be more critical about the the method and the product of the critical edition than uh, otherwise they would have been um i think that it was extremely well done uh, I think that the, the Mahabharata tradition uh, was peculiarly amenable to the method that was applied to the stemmatic method, and I've, I, I think it's a very, very convincing reconstruction. I mean, obviously there are there are some parts where you might disagree with what the editors have done, particularly with um, the principle of lectio difficilior. Where sometimes there is something that is really quite difficult to 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 make sense of in in the reconstituted text but in almost all the manuscript versions um they have something that makes much better sense so I think that there's certainly scope for disagreeing with the editorial decisions on in in specific instances but Overall, I think it is a very convincing and enormously um useful um publication, the, the, the critical edition. I, I, I can't I can't really imagine Mahabharata Studies without it now. Because I mean it means we can all talk about the same text. Um
0: slash NBN50
1: to get 50% off. So I yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Um part of what part of what really for me demonstrated the power of the critical edition. Uh not to say, you know, one couldn't have qualms or there aren't ways to um improve upon it, or one might say, hey, you know, this is wonderful. Story of um, uh, of of Ganesha serving as a scribe of the Mahabharata—that's known through our tradition—but isn't you know. Uh, but but having said that, uh, interestingly enough, it was uh, looking at your Patra line book when I was dissertating mm-hmm. and your read of the story world to point to a character that was implied thinking through uh, Umberto Echo's um reader response theory and and it was it was the ability to do that and so um so so lucidly read what the story is doing where I thought, you know what, this must be a really close approximation because there's far too much literary brilliance in the story world as yeah. is. And without getting into too many details, I, I ended up um, writing an article, I think it was in the IJHS, uh, um, um, International Journal for Hindu Studies. Mm-hmm. That it was published in, but it, it was um it was actually showing that the same inside uh, story or, or or joke or, or the, the same the same notion that you pointed to in the patriline book that's embedded in in one of the key frame narratives of the Mahabharata that the Markandeya Purana is aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, blew my world open. It was yeah. like th- this. This text is this is a, a very powerful reconstitution of uh, an approximation of yeah yeah you know the uh, oldest living ancestor of the I Mahabharata. Think,
2: I think that's a good example, Raj, to 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 show that it it is generally a, a good reconstruction. I mean, I, I did a bit of uh, I did an article a long time ago um, where I analyzed a particular uh, sequence of chapters in the critical edition as a a ring composition. Um, Ring composition, tell me more. um, Oh, well, uh, it's a very carefully constructed uh, thing that starts where it ends and that goes on stages from the start to the midpoint where it changes direction and then Mm. comes back via the same stages. Uh, at the
1: I tease, I because of course my, my my dissertation shows that David Mahatmi has a carefully crafted okay. ring composition. But please continue.
2: Well, I I found this this ring com- composition in in book one, uh, in the critical edition, and then when I looked at the apparatus to see where the colophons were in the various manuscript traditions, it became clear that this ring composition that was visible or just about visible in the. Uh, in the reconstituted critical edition would have been far far less visible in any of the manuscript traditions so it looked as if it must have been an aspect of the text a long long time ago in the archetype that was then kind of forgotten about or, or or covered over somehow in the interim in the various branches of the tradition and it was only the reconstruction attempt that had kind of uncovered it again. But the critical editors themselves hadn't spotted uh that ring composition. So
1: well well no one has. I mean a handful of South Asianists have in various texts, but it, it it's it's fascinating to me, a that this phenomenon exists in in, in seemingly unrelated traditions. And one wonders if it's just a function of perhaps uh, oral culture, if it's a device for remembering, if it's who knows? You know, who, who knows. knows where this comes from. But but, but the idea. But, but go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say, Raj. Um, me and you have an awful lot to talk about with respect to ring compositions, but this book uh, doesn't talk about ring compositions. So that, that some some readers may be uh, very relieved that this is a book where broadbeck doesn't bang on about ring compositions
1: yes this book does not talk about ring compositions <laughs> and so I, yeah, I have to watch myself speaking with someone like simon that i always keep this very accessible um but nevertheless we can have we can nerd out uh, on ring composition that's at some other future time perhaps at spalding yeah. in the spring um no, it, it is a fascinating book, your discussion, the, 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 the taking at face value, the text as it is, and the impulse to not um, dismiss as later interpolation elements that are innate to the text that tradition has maintained in this manner for whatever reason, um, and trying to make sense of it and think alongside the text. You know, it is fascinating. Um was there anything in this in your um work in this process that uh surprised you or that sort of stood out to you in your in your mm. in yeah. this journey
2: no i mean many things many things but but one very important thing is uh it relates to something that you said actually right at the beginning of this conversation which is to which is you alluded to um the idea that we're in the Kali Yuga and that there's a lot more Kali Yuga yet to come, <laughs> um, and that statement accords with the, the the standard presentation of the Yuga cycle in in the Puranic text, uh, uh, as accepted uh, and spoken of very widely in South Asia today. Um, but interestingly, it's not the case in the Mahabharata, because in the, as far as I could tell, in the Mahabharata, the Yuga cycle lasts 12,000 years, and the Kali Yuga lasts 1,200 years. So, um, so yes, so the new Mahayuga, the new wonderful golden age, uh, should have come about, according to the Mahabharata's uh, Yuga system, Twelve hundred years after the Kurukshetra War, and and it's on the basis of that timings, those timings that I think the the early audiences of the Mahabharata were anticipating the imminent arrival of the golden the new the next Mahayuga and the next golden age. Um, so it's interesting that in the the the, the, the Buranic scheme the yugas are all 360 times longer than they are presented as being in the Mahabharata. Um, and according to that longer time scale, the drama that I talk about towards the end of my book uh, of, of the early audiences thinking that the, the, the new Mahayuga was coming soon, that drama is completely now absent. Because, as you say, we've got an awful lot more Kali Yuga to get through before we can hope for a new golden age, according to the Puranic scheme. But what's interesting is that um, it is widely thought that the Mahabharata too um, considers all the Yugas to be 360 times as long as in fact it does consider them to be. So one of the things I had to do was to was to find the verses that people base their uh the, the durations on and and to show that there is no suggestion here that the, the the when it counts in years that they are years of the gods uh they're not they're normal terrestrial years um but there's quite a lot of scholars who have said otherwise and i think it's, it's it is it it's it it's a very important part of the book to, to 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 as it were push that misinterpretation aside and to allow the Mahabharata to, to, to speak for itself on that question. But it's very easy to see um why the, the 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 longer system would have been interpretively uh overlain onto the Mahabharata in retrospect, because it it gives the lie to the mahabharata's yuga system when time keeps on marching on and the, the the new golden age has apparently still not arrived and we know that it hasn't arrived because we can't live to be 400 years old um so i think it's uh, the, the, the mahabharata's system of numbering um has been been replaced as it were in order to allow the yuga idea to to be maintained but it's it's a rather different idea if you can't properly look forward to uh, the next golden age
1: that's a fascinating and important distinction and corrective indeed in terms of the in terms of the mahabharata's conception of of yogas um, was there anything else that, that sort of stuck out in your mind or sort of surprised you about this research
2: well, um, yes. I mean, it, it, it ended up centering to a large degree around uh, the character of the earth, who is personified female in, in Sanskrit mythology and plays a big role here because she's the one who is suffering um, with the weight of excess people upon her and who goes to the gods. There are various different presentations of this scene so it's not it's not always exactly the same god that she approaches first but uh, the, the the descent of the gods uh at, in order to to produce a large massacre at kurukshetra was at the behest of the earth in order to to solve her problem and um and so that lent a, a gendered aspect to 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 the discussions and it also, well, it, it it resonates quite well with with the place in history where we find ourselves at the moment, because of course there's there's quite a lot of talk about the personified Earth in in the newspapers and has been for several years and will continue to be because we are in the time of climate change and. Um, environmental crisis and so the, the 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 situ the kind of situation that the 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 narrative responds to the earth's complaint is it, it it's it matches in a way our current situation i mean i alluded to that in the in the last couple of pages but i mean i haven't um i haven't thought to bring out uh that that comparison but i think no reader will fail to notice it nonetheless and it effectively it meant that uh this turns out to be a much more topical book than it would have been if it had been written 20 years ago um i i i I, i'm not sure that it 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 gives us any particular answers apart from the, the the what we already know that that the you know having fewer people on the planet would would be helpful for the planet's future but uh but it meant that all the time i was writing it i was um you know it 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 it, 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 it rang bells it rang bells in 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 a way that uh you don't necessarily expect ancient sanskrit literature to do
1: without question without question i've recently uh put together um a collection of uh of stories for a book called the stories behind the poses and uh, i vividly remember uh rendering the story of Pritu, you know the prithvi and uh um and and just being struck with uh, the parallels and I actually tease them out because it's it's for more of a, a popular or a spiritual audience and i tease out some of the parallels to our current situation and, and this this sort of uh this this the, this 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 uh, profoundly applicable Uh, ancient Indian you know uh, as if cautionary tale or sort of uh, narrative synopsis of uh, of a situation we find ourselves in of an overburdened earth that's Mm -hmm. plagued with the ills of man pun intended and 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 here we are so it is it is fascinating but you know maybe the Mahabharata is right what's not there is nowhere at all (laughs) so
2: (laughs) well there's one way to make that the case and that's to dive into the text and not come out <laughs> but, but i think uh, one of the things that came through quite strongly in in uh, the, the, my research results was was the the, the, the idea that the, the earth doesn't really care about um about how good people are it's it's their sheer quantity that upsets her so 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 she she, she needs a massacre. I mean, in, in in the text, she 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 needs an an awful lot of people to die. Um, but she's she's rather less concerned with uh the people that are left behaving badly or or well. That that's that's not so much a concern for her, that would be a concern, as it were, for the gods. And so um there's a section where I talk about the two functions of the avatar, mm. one of which is to to rescue the earth from overcrowding and from sinking. Um, but that is not uh, the function of the avatara that Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita, where it's about uh, restoring dharma. Um, as it turns out, I think uh, those two functions are opposites. And so when the earth is made happier, uh, dharma decreases. And when Dharma is rescued at the end of the cycle for the new cycle, uh, the Earth is once more in peril, and so, if you like, the the cycle kind of switches backwards and forwards between two um, two situations, both of which are unbearable and will not do, and that's why there always has to be another to cycle. Whichever way it's just swung, it it's going to have to swing back because it's it's only really. At some point in the middle, which is passed reasonably swiftly in either direction, that that things are as they as we would really like them to be. A uh,
1: Fascinating uh, proposition, this uh, inverse relationship of which you speak. Um, uh, is there anything else about the book that you'd like us to touch on before we close for today?
2: well uh well we could touch on any number of things i mean i Uh, I think it's sure although it's quite a short book i think there's quite a lot in it i mean i i i it's it's really a a map of my thinking on, on, on this topic and and which i did for several years until i just felt as if i couldn't you know that I was I was I wasn't getting any further. So there's no, there is the the, the solutions that I propose are not are not a hundred percent successful. Uh, but but it it I think it, it potentially it could be quite an exciting book to read because uh, it, it I think it's full of ideas. Things full of ideas. But one of my very favourite bits of it actually is where in order to and this is something i developed in conversation with my my father um is to imagine how the world could could move through the yuga system could move from one yuga to another without um an avatara turning up down here and doing anything in particular so uh at the end of chapter four there's a There's a description of of a a, a, a mechanical machine, uh, an invented machine with pictures um, where where it it can appear that the yugas are changing at the right points um, without anything, without any special input. So with this machine, you just turn a handle at one side And as long as gravity is constant and you can turn this handle very, very slowly, but at a a steady rate, um, the mechanism will move through the yugas at exactly the right points without you having to press any extra button saying, okay, it's time to change yuga. So, so there's a, if you like a a mechanical theological model um, that I invented in order to try and think about, whether an avatar was really causally necessary um, in order to, 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 as it were, push time forward from from section to section. So I, I particularly uh, enjoyed
1: the yoga machine.
2: That, the yoga machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's slightly tongue in cheek, um, and I, sure. I, I, I tried to make some bits of this book funny, but I realised that my sense of humour. Um, is an is, is not obvious. So whenever I give a talk, I try and make jokes, but the, the people, <laughs> always, people always laugh at different points. Um, but but this, <laughs> it, it, this this book is intended to be funny in parts.
1: <laughs> well, um, part of the utility of the podcast, from what I gather, from what folks have said. Um, uh, uh, it turns out a number of our colleagues listen, and, and uh, um, they say they quite enjoy getting a sense of the personalities of some of the people they read or, or will read. And, and you know, really, it, it may well make a difference in the read. I mean, having met you a handful of times and certainly collaborated over email and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I get a sense of the funny bits, <laughs> but at the same time perhaps without uh you know um a a sense of the personage behind the research right no often it can be extremely difficult i mean i
2: I think it's very i mean i think there's an awful lot of jokes in the Mahabharata, but it's extremely difficult to get them um often you kind of think is that a joke how can i tell um how can i tell but no i'm sure you're <laughs> right just a bit of uh, a a bit of exposure to the personality behind the behind the writing is, is is enormously helpful in engaging the the tone but i'd hasten to add that i am deadly serious about the book you know i mean it's uh, although it does have funny bits in it um it's it, 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 I, I i hope it will be received as a as a serious contribution uh, and a useful contribution to to, to what is really quite a an obvious um teaser in the text
1: it's it's a funny bits notwithstanding it is without question a serious piece of scholarship on a number of levels um so congratulations for getting it out into the world and perhaps we'll close with uh, the question of um what next or what now
2: Yes, well, that is a good question because, in a way, uh, this is a a stopping point for me because I, I I did the Harivamsa translation in order to be able to 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 do this project. I mean, there are other projects that that will facilitate as well, but but at the moment, I'm 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 busy translating. Um, I'm translating Book Seven, the Drona Parvan of the Mahabharata. Um. Because it is it is intended to complete the uh, University of Chicago press translation that, that Van Boytenen began in the early 1970s um, it is intended to complete that translation with or without the University of Chicago press and I'm I'm part of the current team that is uh, that is in that is is working on that so so. So yes at the moment I I'm, I'm trying to say no to to any other things I wake up in the middle of the night wondering about and and trying not to start any any new research projects because that's that's a big task um and that's going Absolutely. to keep me busy for several years very very happy years they will be
1: uh, excellent uh we so look forward to uh that, Parvin being published, and certainly we'll we'll chat about that on the podcast. And um, most recently, uh, Wendy Doniger had finished the last couple of books in uh, in the translation project, and but I th- there are numbers still at large. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps there will come a day on the Earth plane when this tra- perhaps this translation project will see the light of day in entirety. Uh, but it'll be probably uh, at least a decade, I imagine.
2: Well, it's a big job.
1: I mean, yeah, it's huge.
2: See, the Ramayana translation project—the uh, the first volume was 1984, and the last volume was 2017,
1: so a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
2: and and that the Mahabharata is much bigger than that. So, to to, to do these things properly, it does it it does require patience. Yeah, but but time is long, and so
1: we will get there. Yeah, absolutely absolutely oh we look forward to it well simon thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today well it's been my pleasure thanks very much raj yeah for those listening well, we've been speaking with dr simon Brodbeck um of cardiff university um on a really fascinating open access publication called define divine descent and the four world ages in the mahabharata um, um Just click in the podcast notes and you will have instant access to this uh, fascinating new work. Until next time, keep well, keep listening, and keep contemplating the cyclical nature of time. Take care.